Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. We've been uh, plowing through the uh, book of Titus and we've been in chapter 2. And uh, just as review, if you want to look at chapter 2 and kind of skip up uh, from where we are this today, you can see that it speaks to older men. Uh, it speaks to classic women. Uh, it speaks to younger women and younger men. And then last week we looked at uh, Paul was speaking directly to Titus, maybe as the pastor of those churches, and then speaking to workers or slaves. And as you find your section in chapter 2, maybe it was a huge burden, a huge burden. As you read through what God expects out of you and what he calls you to, you look at it and you go, I don't know that I can do it. Um, you, You look through your section of older men and you go, but I'm so stubborn and I've tried to be these things for so many years and I'm not them. I don't know what to do. Or, or maybe as older women, you look at it and you say, you know, I, I always assumed that as I got to this phase of life that I would be farther along, that I would have my act together and that I, there would be a sense of that I would be the model for younger women and I would have much to impart. And yet, if I'm honest and when I'm honest... Uh, it's just not happening and I'm not who I need to be. So it's hard for me to impart that down. I know some of you younger women struggle. Uh, you struggle with life and the, the chaos of your world today. And even the, the anxious thoughts of this last week, as you, you think through the, the future and you're fearful and you're, you're struggling to trust the Lord. And then you, young men, as you consider that God has called you to be self-controlled. And really that's the only thing he shared with us in this passage. And as a young man you go, I'd like to be, I want to be, I've tried to be, but I can't be. I just can't do it. I I just don't know how this all works. This morning I want to tell you, I want to warn you about the killer bees this morning. The killer bees. Now, I'm not talking about a, a swarm that's going to come invade Tehachapi. Um, you know, the weather yesterday, I don't think any bees are going to show up to your picnic. And why would you have a picnic in weather like that anyways? The killer bees that I'm talking about is sometimes we get the impression that being walking with God is just about being different. Being different. That I, I need to be good. Or I need to be kind, or, or I need to uh, just uh, pull, you know, pull up my boots and hop back on the horse after I've been thrown off, and I just need to be tougher. I need to think about this more, and I need to work harder. And it's just a mountain to climb, and I'm going to stubbornly climb it, and I'm going to be tougher than the other guys, and I'm going to conquer whatever's going wrong in my life. I'm going to be something. And I want to tell you, those are bricks that are thrown upon your back and are crushing if you think you can be different apart from Christ. This morning, uh, we are going to talk about how to be changed in the gospel and how how that really works. And I'm super excited because I, I believe as he has already talked about what we are to be, and I hope that as you saw those things that we are to be, you say, I can't do it. Because this morning, as we look at it, we're going to talk about how it can be done, how we can truly be changed 
in the gospel. Please stand in honor of God's word. And I'd like to read to you chapter 2 of the book of Titus. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded and dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be the model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that the opponent may be put to shame and have nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And God, thank you for this time we have together. God, I pray that you would uh, find us to be receptive in our hearts, that you would pry us open, that you would cause us to not stubbornly reject your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity of hearing from you. God, you're so sweet to communicate in your word to us. I pray that the message today through your Holy Spirit would be transforming for all of us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our passage this morning in verse 11 starts out, For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. The picture here is this. It's, it's a, really a Christmas message this morning. The grace of God has appeared. It's the picture in the course of history as God has loved mankind that he loved us in such a way that his grace appeared to us. It, 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 it came into history. It's the picture where Jesus, in the midst of our chaotic world, in the midst of our sinful, lost world, Jesus rolled in and changed everything. It's the picture that as he came as a conquering king, as a servant, he rolls in and changes everything. And there should be loud cheering and glad parading. And there, This is exciting that Jesus entered history. And that he entered in such a way that would change everything. 
That's true in history. We can look at uh, when Jesus came as a baby, how that changed our world and how we understood the gospel and that that being the most important event in history. But it's not just an event of history, is it? It's an event of your history if you've come to know Christ. It's you were going about your life, you were doing your thing, and uh, that wasn't working out so well, was it? It was that sense where you could accomplish things and you can do things, but the emptiness and the hurt and the, the pains that you're bringing upon yourself. And in the midst of that life, your history, Jesus entered and he rolls in and he changes everything. That's what Jesus did. He doesn't walk in quietly to your life and say, hey, just keep doing whatever you're doing. It's fine. I'll just find a spot in the corner here that I can just do my own thing. And, you know, you just keep doing what you're doing. But Jesus invades your life in such a way where it changes everything. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. The first thing as God's grace appears is this. He appears bringing salvation for all people. He appears bringing salvation. Why did Jesus come into history? Why has he interacted with your life? And why does he want to invade your life? Not to just make you a little bit better. I just want to tell you that this morning. I know that sometimes in a church like ours, uh, people get busy about their lives and they get in places in dark places where they don't want to be and they feel discouraged and they go, oh, I just need to go to church. I need to go to church because I feel better when I go to church. And maybe I can get a little bit better, get a little bit better. And, you know, as I walk out in my mind, I, I, you know, maybe you think back to your upbringing and you say, I went to church. My mom will think good of me if I go to church. My grandma will like it if I go to church. I'll feel good. And I walk out and I go, oh, I did a good thing today. I went to church. I want to tell you that Jesus doesn't want us to feel a little bit better about ourselves. He wants to change our life, first of all, by bringing salvation. We're saving us of our sins. That we are sinners in need of salvation because of what we have done, not because of the way we've been brought up or, you know, the different things that have caused us in our life to do different. No, because of our sin, he wants to save us from our sins, to release us from the bondage that we're in. This church, and I, I never want it to be, and God doesn't want us to be, a goody-two-shoes club where we're talking about how good we are. We, we don't do this, and we don't do that, and we're really good. We try to be really good, and we're, we're doing these really fine things. No. We want to be a group of people that have been changed by the gospel. We've been changed. We've been saved from our sins. Saved from our sins. This is the reason he came. Jesus came that he might bring salvation first and foremost. What that is, it goes like this. And if you, if you haven't come to know Christ here this morning, I want you to think about this. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. I am too. I am too. I've sinned over and over and over again. If you haven't come to know Christ, 
you still have the payment and the the penalty of that. You, it hasn't been paid for. You will drag that around your whole life. And if you haven't come to know Christ, you will continue to pay for that for eternity apart from Christ. But Jesus came bringing salvation, offering it, giving it, so that what would happen would be this, that upon you accepting Jesus, that you wanting to cry out to him to say, I need you because of my sins. I need you to pay for my sins. How does he pay for it? He went to the cross. He died in your place so that all the guilt and all the payment for all that sin that you've committed, he says, I'll take that. I'll take care of that. We'll talk about it a little bit later as well. But he says, I'll take care of it and you will be in permanent relationship with me forever. This is why Jesus came. He came bringing salvation, wanting to set us free and save us from our sins. This morning, uh, if you want to be different, if you know there's some change that needs to happen, that's the first thing that needs to happen. You need to come to know Christ. That's why he came. It's interesting uh, to me that sometimes this is where we get all messed up in verse 12. In verse 12. We realize that we need a Savior. We, we realize that we are lost in our sins. And apart from what Jesus does, we're going to be lost in them forever. And so we come to know Christ. And then we say, oh good, got that taken care of. Now I'm going to go work hard to be better. I want you to see clearly this morning, uh, this passage, because I think that it is so revolutionary. If we would truly grasp what God is telling us here, I think that it would change our lives, change the way we live, the way we think, the way we raise our kids, the way we work. In verse 12, it says this, you have the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Also, verse 12 training us, the same grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Did you hear that? He trains us. The grace of God trains us. That word train is the word where we get our word pedagogy or the idea of a, a tutor or someone that trains and, and, and educates in such a way, not just to give education, but walks with them. It was used, uh, originally used as a word for the training of children, the training of children. How does that go, parents here today and grandparents? How do you train children? How do you do that? Some of you are like, have you thought of spanking them a lot? No. Uh, uh, it, how do you train children? You, you picture, if you can picture uh, me with a three-year-old and saying, uh, you know, the, the stove thing. You know, you know what I'm talking about, the stove thing? Don't touch the stove. And you say, uh, okay, uh, you're three. Um, I, the, don't touch the stove. It's very hot. You'll get burned. Okay, you got it? Got it. Everyone on the same, everyone's on the same. So don't touch. Okay, you got it. Um, so we never have to talk about touching the stove again, right? That, it's one of those things, right? This is how we train kids, right? It, it's the idea of having the same conversation thousands of times and acting like it's the first time you've ever talked about this, right? 
It's being patient and saying, I will continue to talk about this over and over again. It's not a one-time teach the lesson and we're good. We've already covered that topic. The picture here is this, that the grace of God is our trainer. What is the grace of God? It's the message of Jesus that God loved us so so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. An amazing picture that that God says, I I love you. And, And this is how you will know for eternity that I love you. I sent my son Jesus. That message of God's grace is our trainer, our trainer. It's the teacher, it's the, the tutor that walks with us and talks with us and, and points out, don't, don't go over there, that's a bad place. So right over here, follow me in this. It's their trainer, it's the one that shows us where to go. It is not like this, that we come to know Christ and then we take off and do our own thing and try to be better. In fact, the picture here is this, we come to know Christ by the message of grace that's found in the gospel of Jesus, and then we never leave it as he trains and changes us. What he trains us in is change and change. I want to tell you, I want to tell you that Jesus wants to change your life. He does not want to leave you as you are. I know that kind of freaks you out. I know that scares you and you go, I'm pretty comfortable in who I've been and my attitudes and this and that. Uh, Forget it. Forget it. It didn't work out so good. Okay. Jesus wants to change you. You you look at this passage and he starts out in the negative. Um, Let me me talk to you about being negative here this morning. Um, We're not a, we're not a positive church. We're not a negative church. Okay. We're not a positive or a negative church. All we, all we seek to be is to go through the passage, right? To, to share what God has said. And I want to tell you, some things are negative. Some things are bad that we're going to talk about here. And as bad as the bad things are that we're going to talk about, in a greater sense, there's good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? So there's both positive and negative all the time. He starts out, about the negative for us. And he says this, the gospel of God trains us or or shapes us and is instructing us, disciplining us to walk with us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That, That word renounce is the idea of to just say no. To be able to say no. I think that when you think about sin... Uh, many of us have, have thought about this. I, I want so desperately to be able to say no to temptation. I struggle with this particular sin and I want so desperately to have the strength and the ability to just say no, to just say no. I think that many of you here today, are, are you're, this resonates with you. You're going, yeah, I want to say no. I want to be able to to leave it behind. I want to be able to put it in the past. I want to be able to give it up, to give it up, and to just make it a part of my history and not a part of today. Well, I want to tell you, it's one way to do it. One way to do it. 
to be trained by the gospel. To be trained by the gospel. That the grace of God would impact your life daily, moment by moment. It's not just that he saves us through the grace of God, which he does, but he also is in the process of training us to just say no, to be able to give it up or to leave it behind. What is it that we're leaving behind? Ungodliness and worldly passions. Ungodliness. You you think about all the things that you know you're not supposed to do that you do. All the sins that you know are an offense against God and you just keep doing them. And then you say, I don't know, I don't know how to stop. I want to tell you how to stop is to have the grace of God be your trainer, be your teacher. Some of you are saying, well, worldly passions. You know, I look at this world and all the sin that's going on and the way it's uh, moved and generated and the, the, the ideas that are behind all the sin. And you say, oh, what, what do I do? I find myself jumping in and being just like them. And I feel like I can't say no. Feel like you can't say no? Well, the way to say no is that you would be trained by the grace of God. That that would be the, the, the foundational point that you go back to over and over again. That this would be your coach and tutor. The one that will walk with you and say the same message to you over and over and over again. That you might be able to say no. I know we're done with the announcements. But uh, I'm just going to say it. Wednesdays here at Bear Valley Church, we have a group called Unchained. Unchained. Um, it's the idea of growing to walk past these sins that keep tripping us up. So you need to think about being there. Actually, you don't need to think about being there. You need to be there, okay? It's the idea that you say, I can't get free from this on my own. If, you, if you're at that place, you need to be there on Wednesday night. You say, oh, I don't know if I can go. Um, don't think about whether you can go. Get in your car and go. And after you've gone, think about whether you could go or not. Okay? Got it? Got it? Unchained. This is what he has saved us for. This is what he is doing. You can be free from your sins. But you need to walk and to think differently. You need to have a trainer. And it's the grace of God. So that's the negative part. He says that uh, the grace of God trains and, and corrects us and shows us how to just say no and to give it up. You've got to see this too, that many times in the scripture you see this principle. You're saved and there's all kinds of junk still in your life. And you're going, well, what do I do with the junk? God wants to surgically remove those and take those out. But there's not a sense of vacuum in our life right now. There's not a sense where God will remove the sin and just leave you with this gaping hole of nothingness. But there's a sense of, uh, of taking something off and putting something on, to removing and to fill. This is what he does. In this passage, we see it again, where he says in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to get rid of that, and now to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. He calls us to live differently. And if we try, if we try to live differently apart from salvation, 
If we try to live differently on our own strength and not the strength of God, it will not work. It will not work. Some of you are exhausted and frustrated this morning. You're in your inner man, you're in turmoil and you're just like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to be good, but it's just not working. And as much as I try, I fill with pride and I'm selfish and I'm just a mess inside. Why? I want to tell you why. Because you're walking in your own strength and it's exhausting. It's like being on a treadmill and saying, you know, I'm just going to try, try harder. I'm going to run harder and I'm going to get there faster. And as fast as you run, the treadmill goes and you realize you're not getting anywhere and you're exhausted and you're going, why isn't my life changing? Why haven't I been, been made any progress? Why? It's because we've tried to do it on our own. Because we haven't had our trainer, which is the grace of God, to impact every area of our life. Every area. He says that you just say no, he'll help you give it up. But now he's going to show us how to live differently. I want to show you something. Uh, I've already mentioned it many times. I know this one thing. I know this one thing. That Jesus wants you to be self-controlled. Self-controlled. That you not be doing your own thing and, 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 and out of control, but that your mind would dictate what you're doing. That your mind that's been changed by the gospel will now, will now be the one to, to change our whole way of life. And who's this for? Well, it's for young men. That's for young men, right? When he addressed young men, he said, be self-controlled. In fact, that's all he said. Be self-controlled. And you young men are like, I can't do it. You know, I'm out of control. I'm not self-controlled. Hey, the, re- the way you do it is you have a trainer. It's called the grace of God. It's, it's the thing that you go back to when you're out of control. It's the thing that you remind yourself of. It's the thing that you walk through in your mind and you, you, you marinate on it. You say, the grace of God has been the thing that is going to change me to be self-controlled. You know, it says it to young men, but you know what, it, ladies? It says it to young women as well. It's not time to be out of control. You can't... I've I got to re- rethink that. I'm going to say it anyways. Don't blame it on hormones, ladies. You know, oh, I just can't do it. I just haven't had enough chocolate this week. And, you know, it's, uh, I can't help myself. It's what everyone's doing. I can't, I'm not as bad as that other lady you know. You know what? Older women are to teach younger women to be self-controlled. Self-controlled. To be your mind dictating your actions and what's going to happen. The mind that's been saved and changed by the gospel. Ladies, older ladies, you're the ones to be the models and the teachers of this self-control. Not to, not to uh, tell these younger women, you think that's bad. You should, you know, let me tell you how I treated my husband when I was your age. Let me tell you about the dumb things that I did. And I'm okay. I turned out great. No. To be self-controlled. To have our mind dictate who we are. Older men say, you know, I'm tired of being self-controlled. I, I've lived my whole life that way. Now, now I'm just going to let loose. No. How do you do that? 
The grace of God is the thing that restrains us and teaches us, shows us the way. The first word he says is self-controlled, that he is going to change us to be. The second word, the second word is upright, upright. And then the last word is godly lives. I want you to see something here. What does self-control deal with? Your self, self. This is deep stuff here, right? Self-control deals right here. The idea of upright is the idea of your relationship with one another, dealing in integrity and uprightness one to another. And then that last word is what? Godly lives. What is the relationship there? It's our relationship with God, our relationship with God. What he describes here is this, that the grace of God will train us and teach us to shape our own self-control and our relationship with just us, it will teach us to, in our relationships to be right with others, be right with others, and our relationship with God himself. You know, uh, we struggle with our relationship with God, don't we? And I'll tell you why. is because you may have come to know Christ, and, and, and I'll tell you, the, the, the main thing that we struggle with in our relationship with God is pride. It's pride. And everybody struggles with this. Everybody even as I say pride, some of you in your own heart said, yeah, I don't deal with that. I know, I know a lot of people do, but not me. I got it together when it comes to pride. That's proud. <laughs> okay? Uh, we struggle with pride. And, and what did it, I want to show you how this happens. I, I want to show you. If we forget the gospel, what is the gospel? I'm a sinner. I need God's grace. His grace came at the price of Jesus on the cross. He died for the sins that I couldn't take care of. He paid my debt and he paid an awful price for it. That's, that's the gospel. That's the grace that is described here. And how will that help you in your relationship with God? If you get away from that message, you have a few successes and, and you say, you know what, uh, I did need him back then, but now I don't. God, I know there's a lot of people, a lot of people, especially at Bear Valley Church, they got some problems over there. You know, there's this one person who struggles with this sin, and, and God, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Huh. Awful. I know this other family, oh, they're, the way they raise their kids, demons, you know, I could see their horns poking out every time they're at church. Uh, oh, God, I'm so thankful I'm not. Who does that sound like, by the way? Sounds like one who doesn't know who they are, right? Sounds like the one who prayed on the street corner and Jesus said, this person was praying to himself. It's pride. But what? Uh, let me show you this. If we remember the gospel, if we remember God's extravagant love for us that he sent his son, and we remember that in our relationship with God, we only see ourselves humbly at his feet. It helps us to be godly. It trains us to be godly. It trains us to be right with one another and it trains us to discipline or self-control ourselves. This is what the gospel does. It trains us. Um, in, in this passage, uh, as he shares with the, God, the grace of God appearing to train us. 
to bring salvation and then to train us. You, you see this at the end of verse 12, that this is all in the context of the present age, the present age. Uh, we look back and we look forward, don't we? Sometimes as believers, we say, you know, uh, the Bible is written in a different time, it's a different culture, and, you know, we're just in a different age today. It may not work today. It's something in the past, and we just struggle with different things, and, and we say, I'm just stuck here. It's just a different day. If the Bible were written today, it would have more impact in my life. No, today. He says, I want to work, I want to be at work changing your life today, today in this present age. Some of you think about this and you go, you know what? I'm so excited to be changed. But that's when the Lord returns. He's going he's gonna to fix me then. Up till then, I'm just going to be who I am. And it's one of those things where uh, God's, God really does want to change me, but it's the day he returns. He brings his son to return and to take us. That's when he's going to change me. Or when I die, that's when I'll really be changed. No, in the present, in the present is where he wants to change you. When, do you, when are you going to be self-controlled? When does he want to work on that? When has he sent his, his grace to fix that and to train you out of that? Today. Today. I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about this word training a little bit. Um, it, it, um, how many of you like uh, miracle cures? Miracle cures. Some of you are going, oh, I don't believe in miracle cures. Yeah, but if they worked, would you believe in miracle cures? Yes. If I had a little bottle of some kind of snake oil or something like this, and I said, uh, this would heal everything that ails you. You would no longer have any achy joints. This would, you know, this causes your hair to grow in places that you want it to. Uh, this will do everything that you want. And, and, it, and it really works. Would you, would you take it? You're like, yeah, I'd love it. I love popping the pill and everything going away. I love taking a sip of this and it all going, you know, bye-bye. This isn't what the grace of God does. In, in a sense, as we come to salvation, of course, we are taken care of. But the picture here of God changing you is the the process of walking with you through life daily in the grace of God. It is not a quick fix. It is a process by which God is taking you through where he is making you into what he wants you to be. Maybe for some of you, you say, well, that's discouraging. I wanted something to happen today or to all be done today and I'm with you. But I want to tell you this too that it never leaves us. It never leaves us. It's not something that will go out of style tomorrow. It's not something where God will abandon you on the road. He is with, in with you for the long haul, really into eternity. So look at verse 13. He says he wants to work now in the present age, but there's also a sense of eternity. Verse 13, he says this, waiting for our blessed hope, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you get the context? It's, um, 
I, I know that I'm in a room full of impatient people. I know that we want it now. We want it now. But isn't it great to wait if you know something good is going to happen? If I, if I told you, uh, I know that we had some weddings in the last year. We're going to have some weddings this year, by the way. But if, there's a sense of countdown to all that, isn't there? And if it's something good, you're excited. You're like, oh, just two months and I'll be married. It, it, you know, I, I remember seeing on someone's phone that they knew when they were going to get married and they estimated the time in the service where they would truly be married. And then they put it on their phone and it was this countdown thing. That in, you know, and they would always pull their phone out and they'd say, it's 87 days, 12 hours and 34 minutes before I'll be married. There's a sense of anticipation and there's a smile that comes to your face when you anticipate that. You think of babies being born. That's a little bit more dicey because you don't know, you know, they have the due date. But what does that mean? Nothing, you know, within a window there, you know, the baby's got to come out sometime, right? There's a sense of you're anticipating, you're waiting, you're expecting, you want it to happen today, but there's also a sense where you're excited even thinking about it as you wait. This is the context of us here today, us here today. We're excitedly waiting. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the appearing, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting for Him and all His glory coming back. We're waiting for Him. He invaded once before and it was great, but this time will be amazing as He comes for His own. There will be rejoicing. This is how we wait. This is how we, we process today. This is part of the grace of God walking with us daily is our anticipation of the Lord's return. In verse 14, as he works through this, this section, this logic for us this morning, he says that he's going to come again. Jesus is going to come again in glory. But in verse 14, it tells us what he did for us. In verse 14, it says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself. I think that sobering truth as I think through the gospel, the grace of God for me, and I think about the temptations and the sins that, that uh, dog my feet and I struggle with, it always puts into perspective when I, I think Jesus gave himself for me. He died for me. This is what he did. And I look at these temptations and I go, oh, it makes them repulsive. If I can take the, the idea that he died for me, but he, he didn't just die for me, but he died for a purpose. Look, look at how he describes this. We talked about this earlier. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. That word redeem is the idea of setting us free by a purchase price. It's the idea of buying off the slave market. It's the price of loosing. It's the idea that, that he bought us. He bought us. He bought our freedom. But he didn't just buy our freedom. As you look at this passage, it says, he redeemed us from all lawlessness. 
He redeemed us from all those sins that we'd committed, but not just set us free from those things that we had committed. He redeemed us from those things. He set us free and to purify us and to purify us and to make us clean where we are dirty. What a beautiful picture of what Christ has done. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? What was his end result that he desired? This is what it says. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You know what? Uh, He does want us to be different, but not on our own strength. But what he is doing, what his plan is, is to save us, to purify us, and then to, to use us, to own us, to use us in such a way where it is good for us and a blessing to him to glorify himself in in our lives. This morning, I want to just close our passage by going through a list of things that the grace of God does in us. How does he do this? But the grace of God sets us free, sets us free. Um, I want you to know this, that... uh, in our sin, before we know Christ, before we are stuck there. We are stuck there. It's like living in the sewer or the garbage can. It's the idea that that's the only place we're stuck there. We can't get out. What Jesus does for us is he sets us free. He sets us free. I want to tell you, you can go eat at the garbage can over and over again. You're free to do so. But that's not what God has saved you for. He, first of all, he sets us free. He sets us free. Secondly, as we look at this passage, the grace of God is our partner, our partner as we walk through life. I say the grace of God because that's the way the passage reads, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is our partner. He is the one, Jesus is the one making the difference in us. Not just on Sunday, not just at the point of salvation, but daily in every situation. The gospel of God is our partner. Jesus is our partner as we seek to honor him. He does not say, be different without me. He doesn't say it. He says, I will be with you. I will be your trainer. I will be the one to show you. Thirdly, um, secondly, he's our partner Thirdly, I got ahead of myself. He's our trainer. He's our trainer. We can't figure this out on our own. It's not just that he's with us, but he is showing us the wrong way. You know what? Um, We are that little child that wants to put our hand on the stove over and over again. It looks attractive, right? It, It seems like something good for us. We're tempted. And it's not because we're tempted because we want something that doesn't look good. It does look good. But he says, I will train you to say no. I will train you to leave it behind. Fourthly, the, uh, the grace of God changes our address. Changes our address. You think about this passage and in the midst of it, he's talking about being changed down here on earth in the present age. And then he follows up with waiting, waiting, an anticipation of what? Uh, of seeing Jesus, of, uh, of him coming back in glory and all that is in that, that we would be taken out of here. 
He changes us in such a dramatic way that we are changed in our address. We, we don't have this as a home anymore. It, you know, I, I want to be honest with you. I know the Adult Bible Fellowship went through the question of heaven, of heaven. And, and if I asked you here this morning, do you want to die today and go to heaven? Most of us would be, if I just said, do you want to die today? You're like, no, I'm afraid to die. I don't want to die. I'm too young to die. I, I've got a few more bills to pay. If you die, who cares about the bills? You know, uh, what, what is it that you have left to do? And, and we get this sense of like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want any of that. But, but if you look in this passage, if you've come to know Christ, there's this joyful expectation of the Lord's return or of my mind to go to be with him. And why is that changed? Why is that changed? Because of the grace of God. If you don't if you don't have a relationship with God here today, cling to life. Everything. Everything set up shop down here. Live it to the full, in fact, uh, be fearful, you know. Don't don't do, try to do anything wrong because you, this is all there is. This is all there is. But because of the grace of God, Jesus saved you. And because of the grace of God, this isn't all there is. That we ex- excitedly wait for the return of Christ, joyfully, excited to see Him in all His glory. We have a change of address. And lastly. There's a change of possession. There's a change of possession. You look at uh, the scripture. And the, the last part of this passage that we went over says that he saved us. He saved us from all, he redeemed us from the lawlessness and purified for himself a people for his own possession. His own possession. I know that we don't like that. It doesn't sound right to us that I would be owned by somebody. But I want to tell you, it's the best place in the world for you. How did, how did it go for you as you were doing your own thing and you were in charge of your own destiny and you were uh, making your own decisions? It didn't go very well. You know why? Because God designed you to be his very own. And he sent his son Jesus an extravagant love display so that you would now be his. And that in your being his, you'd be zealous for good works. You know know what I find interesting about zealous for good works? Most of the time when we think of doing something good, we think of uh, going, okay, I'll do something good. I feel guilty, so I'm going to go do something good. You know, I feel guilty. I should just sit here, but I guess I should do something good. No, kind of, God will be really happy with me because it'll be good work. Is that the picture? Is that the picture in this passage? Zealous for good works. Excitedly joyful, anxious. You're like, wow, it's so great to serve him. Why? Because it's what we were designed to be, his own possession. This morning, as we close, um, I just want to leave you with one thing. If you haven't listened to me for anything else, I just want I just want to tell you one last thing. Don't leave the gospel. Don't leave the gospel. 
Don't leave here this morning if you haven't trusted in Jesus. You need him. You need him. He loves you. He loves you. He wants to save you. If you've come to know Christ and you have been saved, don't leave the gospel. Don't leave the gospel. It's meant to train you in every area of your life. You say, I'm struggling. Grab the gospel and apply it to that situation. Think about how much God loves you and his grace displayed to you. Apply it to that situation. It's been popular in the last few years, and I think appropriately so, to talk about preaching the gospel to yourself. (laughs) Preaching the gospel to yourself is to sit down and think through and to talk to yourself about the gospel and say, this is what it's all about for me today. This is what it's in the midst of this temptation, the gospel. I need him today. Don't leave the gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for your grace displayed in this passage. Lord, we're so thankful that you have not saved us and then left us but that you, your son Jesus, came and invaded this uh, history, not just uh, to be a good model, but for salvation, for salvation of sinners like us. God, we're also thankful that uh, in trusting in him, that he came to change us, make us who he wanted us to be. God, thank you for the grace and the gospel. Help us to apply it to every situation in our life. We thank you in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. You are dismissed.